0: To Matthew's Gospel chapter number 18, we'll be there in just a moment. Happy Lord's Day to you. Welcome to River City Baptist Church. We're so excited about the day the Lord has for us and an exciting day planned with the word of God and then a baptism service at the end. And we're thankful for God's continued blessing uh, on our church and it's so good to have many guests here with us today. We're thankful for your presence and a great start this morning. Uh, to connection groups, if you uh, have not got connected with a Bible study group, they do meet at 9:30s now on Sunday morning, and today was our first day, you're welcome to join at any time, and uh, we hope to find you uh, in a Bible study group so that you can uh, build relationships and deepen uh, your faith and commitment to God's word, and uh, what a great start this morning with good attendance, and I thank the Lord for it. Uh, I wanted to mention to you as you're turning to Matthew 18, we did have a death in our church this week. Um, uh, Karen Wiseman went home to be with the Lord this morning uh, at about 5.15 a.m. Some of you have been praying for her. Uh, and we just heard word this morning that she passed over the weekend. You know what's interesting? Um, last Sunday, now get this, just 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 think for a second. Last Sunday, one week ago today, Karen stood, well actually was wheelchaired up here with her husband and joined our church. And then Monday, she had another serious um, stroke and fell and went into ICU and never made it out. You know, when I think about that last Sunday that I saw Karen, I was watching her while I was preaching. And, of course, last Sunday was Mission Sunday. And just watching the joy and the the, uh, I'm with you attitude, even verbally and visibly, and, uh, you know, what a, great, what a great thing for her that the last Sunday she was alive. She was in church, faithfully serving God, faithfully encouraging those around her, and did what God wanted her to do. I don't know about you. That's, if this is my last Sunday, that's where I want to be. Somebody help me. I want to be in my place doing what God wants me to do and following Jesus all the way to the very end. And so uh, we'll miss Karen and be praying for Todd. Uh, As he um, leads his family and as we arrange the circumstances of uh, a home-going service and all that information will be coming forth, Todd has requested to just not reach out to him, uh, if you would, maybe over the next few days. I'll send a message out when it's okay. Uh, I'll be seeing them this afternoon, but they just, right now, don't want to be inundated with um, uh, communication as they're grieving, obviously, this morning. So, uh, let's pray for Todd, though, and uh, pray for God's comfort and encouragement to him. And the loss of his precious wife. Let's pray and then uh, we'll get right into the sermon this morning. Heavenly Father, we enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. We bless you for who you are. And Lord, we're thankful today to know that Jesus Christ is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And that he is our hope in life and death. Today as Karen is absent in the body, she is very much present with you. And in this we rejoice Today, we uh, ask that we will be an encouragement and a blessing to this precious family as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Thank you that they have nothing to fear. Your rod and your staff is with them to comfort them, and we praise you for how good you are. And Lord, be with Todd today and, and help him, encourage him. Lord, thank you for the wonderful Christian family they are. And I look forward to the day where we all will sit on the other side of Jordan's shore, rejoicing in Jesus Christ, our Savior, who's rescued us from this world. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 18, beginning at verse number 1, the Bible says, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Lord have mercy. That's in red in case you were wondering, meaning Jesus said that. Now listen very carefully. Jesus said that. Okay? I want to preach to you this morning on this subject, child-like faith. Childlike faith. Kids are awesome, aren't they? I love them so much. I have like 75 of them at my house. I mean, I I love kids. I do. I'm thankful for God's blessing on my family with five children and and uh, and also just the blessing of how many children we have here at our church and just being around them is a lot of fun. My My kids uh, often, as I'm sure yours do, uh, say some pretty amazing things. Ashley gets on a kick where she sings nothing but Waymaker over and over and over and over and over again. And Blake the other morning at breakfast said, can we please sing something else? Blake was droning on the other morning about something. I don't really remember what he was talking about. And Ashley is about as much of a morning person as her mother is. And Ashley looked over at Blake uh, kind of with her hands on her face staring at her food that she didn't want to eat. And she looked at Blake and said, can you please be quiet? Brent, mom, can I have a snack? Angie, go get a handful of pretzels. Brent? Can I have daddy get the pretzels because his hands are bigger than mine. <laughs> it's great. Two weeks ago I took Brent on a trip. I, I usually take one of my kids on a preaching trip if possible. We went out to Pensacola where I was speaking at a college and, um, and teaching in some classes. And, and Brent, Brent said, hey, dad, what's, what's, that, what's that sign on the road? I said, it's a speed limit. He said, well, what's that mean? I said, well, that, that one right there means that, that on this particular road, there's a, there's, a, there's a lid on how fast you're able to drive. And he said, well, what's, what's the speed limit on this road? And I said, well, right there, it tells you it's 70. He says, well, why are you going 78? 78. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess. <laughs> So for the rest of the trip, I was driving exactly 70 miles an hour. And he kept watching, too. Like the whole, the whole trip, he kept, he kept looking over. It was like he was making sure that I was being honest. But they're, that's the way they are, isn't it? They're funny. They're honest. They're transparent. They're humble. They're totally dependent. You know, the Bible tells us that children are, in fact, a gift from God. They are not an imposition on our time or our schedules or our plans, they're a gift. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 13 says, he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground. Children are a blessing. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. People that are blessed with children are blessed indeed. Children are desirable, meaning Christians want children. Well, I thought you might think that was a good thing to say, so let me run that one back. Christians want children. From the beginning of human history, from the very first interaction of God with people, he did tell them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Scriptures specifically identify children as having desirable attributes and, and parts of their lives that we should desire ourselves and they can become some of life's greatest teachers. In fact, this is... Exactly what Jesus does in this story. Jesus has been really giving out and dishing out over the last several weeks some very intense truth. You back all the way up to chapter 16 where we talked about Jesus talking about Peter and the rock and upon this rock I'll build my church and... And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this landmark theological statement and this great confession of faith. And then he leads us into the Mount of Transfiguration, (coughs) which was an amazing story, an amazing display of who Christ really was. And then, then of course, they come down from that mountain and immediately they're met by that father whose son could not be healed. And Jesus goes into another hard truth about, about the importance of prayer and fasting that we learned just recently. Jesus is now predicting his death and his resurrection repeatedly. And and, and we're, we're starting now to kind of make a beeline for the cross. And in the middle of all of this, the disciples are going to open up their mouths and ask yet again a very ridiculous question in verse number one. Which of us is the greatest in the kingdom? To which Jesus responds by bringing a child into his presence And using the child as a lesson for these disciples who were so off base. So, let's take a look this morning at what childlike faith really is all about. Number one, I want you to see in verse one, a struggle to understand true greatness. A struggle to understand true greatness. This is what the disciples do in verse number one. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? It's actually striking to me how often this conversation comes up between the disciples and our Lord. You back up to Luke chapter number 9, verse 46, There, the Bible says, an argument arose as to which of them should be the greatest. So not only were they asking this question, evidently they argued about it all the time. Can you even imagine what this argument must have been like? Peter speaks, guys, I think I'm actually the greatest in the kingdom of heaven because after all, you know, I'm the most loyal to Christ. John over here interrupt. no, nah, I don't know. Actually, probably me because evidently I love Jesus more than you guys do. And then, and then, and then James over here, well, well, actually, I, I've had more private conversations with Jesus. Or, or Bartholomew, actually, I cast out, Remember, remember on that last mission trip, I cast out 52 demons and you guys only racked up 43, so I'm actually probably better. Can you imagine this nonsense? kind of nonsense that comes from Christians debating back and forth, which one of them is a better believer, which one of them is more sufficient or, or spiritual. Believe it or not, this kind of debating goes not only on this, the early part of Jesus' ministry and here toward the middle of Jesus' ministry, it goes all the way to the night before Jesus Christ died. In Luke's gospel, chapter 22, verse 22 through 26, listen to this. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Listen to this. And they begin to question each other which one of them it could be who was doing this. Okay, Jesus tells them at the Last Supper, one of you is going to betray me. And it breaks out into a discussion as to who this is likely going to be. Can you imagine what that conversation must have been like? Then the next verse says, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. In other words, somebody got offended. You think I would betray Jesus? Are you crazy? I'm the best disciple of all you guys. And then an argument breaks out as to who is the greatest disciple. This is insane. I mean, we're in the most sacred moment of human history Jesus is, is performing the Last Supper. Jesus is, is telling them he's about to die. He's about to be betrayed. And what are these foolish disciples doing? They're arguing among one another, being divided amongst each other about which of them is a better believer or follower of Christ than the other ones. This is nonsense. In fact, I would say this. Verse 1 points out that sometimes disciples are childish. And Jesus points out that there's a difference between being childish and childlike. Think about it. What is the most childish thing a person can do? Be argumentative and debate and immature about who the greatest person in the room is. Interestingly enough, Herman Edwards, who used to coach the Kansas City Chiefs, was, said when it came to the thoughts on teamwork, he said the players that play on this football team will play for the name on the side of the helmet, not the name on the back of the jersey, meaning there's not going to be any competition here, we're not against one another, we are on the same team. What a tragedy to be said of any church or any Christian or any group of believers that spend their lives debating and arguing about who's right and who's wrong and how this should be done and why this shouldn't be done and why this is preferable and this isn't and why we should do a certain thing or not do a certain thing. Folks, listen. Churches have been riddled with these kinds of divisions and debates for years. And you want to know what it is? It is not a testament to who's more spiritually mature than others. It is a sad testament that all parties involved are in fact acting like a bunch of babies. Arguments, debates, and divisions among believers is, in fact, a testament of being immature. And what I've always found is the person that likes to argue the loudest is the person who is likely the most immature and has the weakest argument in the first place. This is insane. Who's the greatest? Jesus says, well, let me show you who the greatest actually is. And Jesus is going to then take in verse number two, he calls a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So we see, first of all, there was a struggle to understand true greatness. What does it mean to be great in the kingdom? What does it even mean to make it to the kingdom? What does that even look like? Jesus now brings a child. And the second thing that happens in the text is that there is an admonition to learn from children. While Jesus points out to the disciples they are being childish, now he's going to bring a child and admonish them, you should actually be childlike. And using a picture, an actual child, he's going to demonstrate what it actually looks like to come to faith in Jesus Christ and be in the family of God. And you got to understand this, folks. Uh, being a part of the family of God, having God as your father and being his child, is not the end result of you living a good life. It is not the result of you doing A, B, C, and D so that you become good enough to get to heaven. That's not what it is at all. The lesson is this. That the way a child approaches a father with absolute dependence, with absolute reception of truth, With absolute humility of mind and heart is the only acceptable way for anybody to come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It is by grace you're saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So in verses 2 through 4, he gives us two ways in which a child comes to faith in Christ. And in which we come to faith in Christ ourselves. By the way, at the end of this service today, uh, we're baptizing and the two people that are being baptized are both children for which I am immensely grateful. In fact, I would say that I saw an article, Aaron, I don't remember when this was, maybe about a year or so ago, there was an article by a prominent Christian pastor and theologian that, that, that basically argued against children having the ability to accept Christ. And I thought to myself, and I even did a podcast on it and tried to uh, strike up a conversation with the fella, what do you do with a passage like this that says, obviously a child has the ability to come to faith in Christ and in fact is a testament to other people about what coming to faith in Christ actually looks like. Did you know that that 80 plus percent of people that accept Jesus Christ as their savior accept him before they are aged 18? And do you know that 90% of people that accept Jesus Christ as their savior accept him before they are aged 22? I'm sorry, excuse me. I believe that children can come to faith in Christ. Children do come to faith in Christ. We should preach Jesus Christ to children children, and teenagers, and furthermore, children can teach us a thing or two about what coming to Christ actually looks like. So what does it look like? Number one, it looks like humbly receiving truth. Humbly receiving truth. Whoever humbles himself as, excuse me, whoever becomes as little children, verse four, and humbles himself as this little uh, this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me there's an idea of receiving or accepting the basic fundamental truth about accepting or coming to Jesus Christ as lord and savior is about receiving the truth of who he is and what he has done by faith and through grace let me make myself very clear The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Bible says that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. The fact that Jesus Christ, the son of God, loved me and he loved me enough to come here 2000 years ago, fully God and fully man. As fully God and fully man, he was able to accomplish something as man that God cannot do, that is die. As God, he was able to accomplish something that man cannot do, and that is live forever in the resurrection and pay the price for the sins of all mankind. Are you listening to me today? I'm telling you, the message from the Bible is this. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is fully man. Jesus Christ died on a cross. Jesus Christ shed his blood. Jesus Christ died and emptied, or excuse me, and went to the grave. And then three days later, he rose again from the grave. That's the message of the gospel friend look you can't cut it any other way you can't dice it you can't subtract to it you can't add to it you either accept it as it is or you don't accept it at all a little child gets it oh this is what God says this is what the Bible says and all I have to do is open up my heart and receive Jesus Christ by faith and call upon his name yep that's pretty much it that's what it says You say, well, what about this and what about that? As far as I can tell, and you can bring your Bible and we can discuss this after church. If you want Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that is exactly what you must do. You must accept it just like God said it. You must accept him and believe upon him and call upon his name just like a little child. Which obviously means not only do you have to receive the truth, but you have to humble yourself. Now think about this. What is it that a child has that oftentimes adults don't have when it comes to faith? Answer, humility. Humility. Let's say you're in this room right now and you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You know what that means? You're going to have to first of all humbly admit that you've been wrong. You're going to have to humbly admit that you thought that it was about going to church or you thought you were a good enough person to save yourself or you thought that by being baptized as an infant or by being confirmed in some kind of congregation was the way in which you go to heaven and here I am standing here In 2022, in a pluralistic society, telling you that there are not many ways to heaven, there's only one way. There are not many gods, there's only one God. There are not many saviors, there's only one savior. There's not many truths, there's only one truth, and that is found in God's Word, the Bible. And you can sit here and resist it with all kinds of humanistic thinking and all kinds of reasons and rationales you want to, or you can humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and let Him lift you up. requires humility it requires you to receive the truth and humble yourself just like a little child let me ask you a question have you ever done that yourself have you ever received the truth of God's word just as it has been presented have you ever humbled yourself in such a way that you actually acknowledge you are a sinner separated from God you have no chance of getting to heaven on your own In fact, I mean, let's just read these verses again. There's a couple things that were said here. and I I think it's worth you letting them sink in. Look at verse uh, 3 again. And he said, assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted. Just just highlight that in your mind. Unless you are converted. What does that mean? Well, John 3 talks about being born again, being converted, being regenerated, being birthed again, getting new life. Converted has the idea of walking one way. You're going down one path. And when you're converted, you turn around and you follow another path. You look to another answer. You you, you turn your heart around in repentance and accept Christ for who he is. And look at this. It says, except you be converted. Watch this now. Uh, except you be converted and become as little children. Here it is. You will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Stop there and just let that sink in, church. Meaning... There are people, probably in this room right now, as you sit, you're not going to the kingdom of heaven. Do you know there are people like that in the world? Do you know that not everybody that's breathing air today is a child of God on their way to heaven? Did you know that? That's what the Bible says. In fact, in John 3, back to Nicodemus, what he say? except you be born again, you will what? You will by no means see the kingdom of God. In fact, I've got some... A pointer here for you. If you want to know how do I miss heaven, let me tell you how. Don't do anything. Just stay like you are, believing that church will do it, believing that being a good person will do it, believing that you can make your own way. Just don't do anything. In order for a person to miss heaven and spend an eternity in hell, you know what they have to do? Absolutely nothing. But he says here, I'm giving you an admonition to learn what real faith is by watching a child. And then the final thing of the sermon that I want you to see is this. We also, number three, receive an admonition to welcome children. Look at this verse. Verse number five kind of changes the tone of what is being said here. In verse number three and four, they are presented as, a, uh, as an example of what we should all be like. But then in verses five and six... They are presented as people that we are to receive as Christ received them. Just look at verse 5 again and let this sink in. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. The first thing that Christ tells us here in verse number 5 is that we are to receive children in Jesus' name. Over in Mark chapter number 10 verses 13 through 16, the Bible says they brought little children to him. That he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Assuredly, I say, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter into it. What did he say? Welcome children to the kingdom just like I am. What is the first thing that people who know Jesus Christ should be doing with children? We should be welcoming them into our families. We should be welcoming them unto uh, our churches. We should be welcoming them into our homes, just like Jesus did. Y'all ain't hearing me today. Uh, let me say it like this. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, red, yellow, black, white. They're all precious in his sight. Welcome, children. Welcome, children. I was saddened when I heard of a nonprofit group looking to have a church in our area where they could invite what we would call bus children or inner city urban children to our church. And they were having trouble finding churches to receive them because they were saying they found that this has proven to be difficult. Would somebody like to explain to me why church is supposed to be easy rather than difficult? Do kids make a mess? Yes. Do kids break stuff? Yes. Do kids destroy chairs and classrooms and wreck paint jobs on walls? Yes. But I'm trying to figure out when did the church become about us and not about reaching people who other people otherwise wouldn't be reaching? Has anybody listened to me today? So why not welcome kids like that in Jesus name what what about what about Fostering in the state of Florida, more than 16,000 children a year are removed from their homes and are in need of fostering or adoption. Currently, right now in the United States of America, there are 400,000 children in foster care. 400,000 children, 114,000 of those children in foster care are currently awaiting adoption because they cannot be returned to the families that are their natural biological families. I don't know about you folks, we've said it before and I'll continue to say it over and over and again. Pure religion and undefiled is helping the fatherless in their affliction and those without family to care for them. That's part of the deal, guys. How about this? What about ensuring your own children come to Christ? Your children have a very relatively low percentage of a full-ride scholarship to college. They have a low percentage Of becoming professional at sports but listen very carefully your children have a 100% chance of standing before God one day and I gotta tell you sometimes I'm absolutely amazed at what I see parents do it's like they're doing everything except for what God would probably want you to do with your children I've heard of parents punishing their kids from church and youth activities let me tell you, friend, I could think of 1,000 things you'd rather punish your kids from than from church. Somebody help me up here. Like their friends, like their video games, like their sports. But I'm somehow negotiating that church or God or the Bible or truth is somehow somehow optional. Somehow we have conveniently found ways to have our kids involved with and excited about everything and else other than God other than church. I think half of our parents have lost their minds. Kids can get to Jesus. Kids need us to point them to Jesus. Kids need us to care about more than just our careers and just about our money and just about our hobbies and just about sports and just about academics. They need to know about Jesus Christ. And maybe you're a grandparent in the room and maybe your kids aren't leading the way. Friend, I'd step up as a grandparent and do everything I can to know that my grandkids know who Jesus is and that they can follow Jesus and make whatever sacrifices are available for them to know him because it's my responsibility. Welcome children like Jesus welcomed children. And finally, listen to this. There's a warning in this text against offending children. Now, now watch this, this is very carefully. Verse 6 says, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin or be offended or go against me, to turn away from me, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. That's some pretty strong language there, isn't it? People who offend children... Jesus says, are not worthy to be alive. Everybody, are we good? You'd be better off. In other words, there's such a degree of punishment ahead for people who would offend a child, who would violate a child. The better solution for you would go be drowned before that happens because it'll be better off for you. I just want to go on record here and say, children should be and must be protected by God's people. Somebody help me up here. There won't be anybody that will ever work in a nursery here that will not be screened and checked to make sure that there is no problem there that would put any child at risk. Folks listen, we have got to be in a position as God's people to protect, not violate children. In the United States of America just this past year, there were 10,500 children trafficked in sex trade. In 2019, there were 620,000 abortions in the United States of America. And while that is down almost half from what it was in 1978 when it became, uh, or whatever date it was, it became legal and it's it's significantly down, we should still grieve over 620,000 babies whose lives were taken from them and they never had a chance, come on, and they never had a choice in the matter. Hey, listen, God's people believe that that life begins at conception and life begins in the womb and that children are not a choice. They are children of God. Hey, listen, anybody that knows God has to be supportive of any measure whatsoever that would protect the lives of innocent people and would be absolutely against anything that would wreck and ruin the lives of an innocent child. 150,000 children between ages 2 and 5 were abused in 2020. In the state of Florida, one in four children suffers with hunger. Worldwide, listen to this, worldwide, 5.6 million children will die before their fifth birthday because they're starving. When we meet the needs of hungry children and individuals, we not only provide hope, we actually save lives. And I could go on. I could go on. Friend, let me just encourage you. Whatever you do with your life, there ought to be some element of your life in some measure that is given over to the protection and the welcoming of children because they are the kingdom of God. Let's pray together for you.